Christmas season is here with all of the excitement and fun and shopping and food and decorating and eating and stress. Results from Coinstar's annual Christmas survey show that 51% of U.S. adults surveyed get stressed out about giving just the right gift to others. This stress is more common among women than men. 56% of women reported getting stressed out as compared to 46% of men. Interestingly, the stress appears not to be worth it, which stress rarely ever is worth it, because most and many of the adults surveyed indicated that they could not remember what they received last year for Christmas. 38% of men could not remember what they received last year for Christmas, compared to 25% of women who couldn't remember what they received last year for Christmas. One positive statistic showed that 87% of the adults surveyed said they would rather give a gift than to receive a gift. Interestingly, what's funny is another question on a different survey indicated that the average shopper will spend $100 on themselves as they're shopping for Christmas gifts for others. (laughs) Christmas is about giving and receiving. Christmas is about God giving us the greatest gift ever, the gift of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas is about us receiving God's gift of love and life and forgiveness of sins and salvation by placing our faith in Jesus. Christmas is about us giving the good news of great joy for all people to all the people God places around us on a day-by-day basis. Christmas is about giving and receiving. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, join with me in opening them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, is where we'll spend uh, most of our time this morning. Extraordinary is defined as exceptional, remarkable, astounding, beyond the norm, regular, or usual. Extraordinary. I'll use it for you in a sentence for all you Spelling Bee fans. The fact that the Dallas Cowboys are in first place today is extraordinary. There you go. For the next couple of weeks, I want us to spend some time together as we gather on uh, these occasions to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I want us to focus in on some of the extraordinary aspects of the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, is extraordinary. The faith of Mary is extraordinary. The obedience of Joseph is extraordinary. The silence of Zechariah is extraordinary. The singing choir of angels is extraordinary. The birth of Jesus is extraordinary because our God is an extraordinary God. Amen? He is an extraordinary Exceptional, remarkable, astounding, almighty and awesome God. And 
So what I want us to do this morning is the first aspect of this story that I want us to focus our attention on for just a few moments together is the extraordinary proof for the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to remind each of us this morning, the birth of Jesus is not some man-made story. It's not some legend or myth that was passed down through the ages. It's not a fairy tale. The birth of Jesus is truth that can be trusted. And Luke provides us with considerable evidence to the birth of Jesus Christ in his gospel. As we join together in focusing our attention on Luke's gospel. A little bit about Luke. Luke is the author of this gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke, which uh, shouldn't surprise us. He's also the author of the book of Acts. Luke traced the life of Jesus from his birth to his ascension in his gospel title, Luke. Luke traced the start and spread of the New Testament church from Jerusalem uh, throughout and into the world in the book of Acts. Luke was a friend and traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke was with Paul on his missionary journeys, and Luke was with Paul all the way to Paul's martyrdom for his faith in Christ Jesus. Luke was a Gentile from the town of Antioch, and Luke, we know, was also a doctor or a physician. Most scholars date Luke's writing of his gospel to A.D. 60 or 61, uh, agreeing that it was, in fact, Luke that wrote these words that penned this gospel that bears his name. And most likely he wrote it while he was in Rome along with Paul while Paul was in prison. Just a point of context for us as we wrap our minds around the truth of God's word this morning. We know that uh, 60 to 61 AD would be about 30, at most 30, 35 years uh, from the events that Luke wrote about when they actually happened to Luke's writing. And we know when we're looking at ancient sources of information, ancient books and literature, the better uh, you can trust the book is the closer to the events that happen to the writing about the events that happen, the better. Makes sense because the closer of those dates, the less time for legend and myth and error to infiltrate the writing. And so we know and understand as we look at this gospel this morning that there were still eyewitnesses who were alive when Luke wrote these words, writing about the life and ministry of Jesus, there were eyewitnesses who were there with Jesus, who saw Jesus and talked with Jesus. Therefore, there's great veracity to the truth of Luke's words for many reasons. One is because of the close proximity of the events to his writing. There was certainly people who could have quite easily said, whoa, 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 wait a second, time out, Luke, that's not right. That didn't happen. That's not right. And also, there would be many who could say, Luke's right. He's spot on here. That's, that's exactly what happened and the way it happened. Luke was a fantastic writer. He was also a very careful, meticulous researcher. And he compiled a very accurate account of the birth, life, and ministry of Jesus in his gospel. And he gave us considerable information, more so than the other gospel writers, about the birth of Jesus. Luke told us, among other things, that Jesus was the good news of great joy for all people. Luke told us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
the lost including the Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and anyone who would receive Jesus by faith in him. We know most importantly, Luke's writing was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit inspired and guided Luke as Luke wrote these words for us and to us that we now will read together in this gospel account. And so let's look at Luke's opening introduction to his gospel. Luke chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke wrote these words, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. This is a grand opening, a grand introduction to this gospel from Luke to us here. And I want to just real quickly highlight three points that Luke shares with us in this opening statement of introduction uh, of welcome into his gospel. Three quick points that we see here uh, in these verses. Number one, Luke's information was public. Luke told us that many had undertaken, many had attempted, many had tried to compile, to write a narrative, a story, a summary of the life of Jesus. Many others had attempted to do what Luke was in fact doing. And we know Luke didn't name these other folks specifically by name, but in verse 2, he did tell us that some of them were eyewitnesses. They were original eyewitnesses to Jesus and to his ministry while he was here on earth. The things that have been fulfilled among us that Luke mentioned, compiling a, a narrative about the things that have been fulfilled among us, those things that have been fulfilled among them included the birth of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension. The things which have been fulfilled among us also meant, and it's important to note, that the information about Jesus, his life, his ministry, all that he said and did was public information. It was done in the open. This was not a savior who hid in some cave in secret. It's not someone who really not many people other than just a few people ever knew about or heard about. And so they had to rely on this report from one or two people to share. No, the report about Jesus, the, the report many have undertaken to compile an account, to compile a story about Jesus the information about Jesus was public information. Everyone knew. They had seen him. They had been with him. They observed him. And so this was open public information. This information had been talked about and spoken about for years and years and years and years. These folks understood and knew, and Luke shared, and Matthew as well, as we'll mention in just a moment, that the understanding of the Old Testament, and for our Old Testament students here, in the room, which each of us are, students of the Old and New Testament. Old Testament students would know that 
the prophets in the Old Testament had long ago, long before, written and spoke and prophesied about this Messiah who was to come. The Savior of the world who would come to rescue his people from their sins. And so we know, as Luke was sharing with us in this introduction, he was saying, hey, listen, many have tried to do what I'm trying to do. The information that I am using for my writing is public. Luke's writing was also thorough. The second point is Luke's writing was thorough. Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Luke's friendship with Paul, however, allowed Luke the freedom to be able to meet folks, specifically from the first church in Jerusalem and even others who were eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus, who were eyewitnesses to when Jesus was ministering to others. And so Luke was able to talk with them. Those folks such as Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, Luke utilized the eyewitness accounts of others, though he wasn't an eyewitness, he utilized the eyewitness accounts of others in his writing of his gospel. Luke consulted with folks who walked and talked with Jesus. Luke interviewed folks who knew Jesus, believed in Jesus, ministered with Jesus, observed Jesus. Luke sat down and he took all of this information, again, guided by the Holy Spirit of God, took all of this information and all this work that Luke was very careful in his research, very thorough in his research. And he compiled this account, this narrative about the birth of Jesus and then the rest of the life of ministry of Jesus so that he could make sure that everything that he wrote in his gospel was true and accurate and trustworthy. So his writing was thorough. He spent time, he took this writing seriously as he wrote these words. And then we also know Luke's purpose was clear. His purpose was clear in this writing. His intended specific audience was Theophilus. Theophilus, most scholars believe, was a Roman government official who was a follower of Jesus who had questions about his faith in Jesus, as we can surmise from Luke's words in, in these first four verses, specifically verses three and verses four. Many believe this to be the case because most excellent or most honorable was often a greeting that was extended to government officials, those who were prominent in society. Luke clearly, as he shared with us in this opening introduction, wanted to make sure that Theophilus was able to know with certainty. He wanted to make sure Theophilus knew that he knew that he knew the things he was taught about Jesus were true about Jesus. He wanted to make sure that Theophilus wasn't struggling with questions about his faith in Jesus. He wanted to make sure that Theophilus was confident in his faith in Jesus Christ because there were false teachers and those going around even at this time trying to destroy the truth about Jesus. And so he wanted to make sure that Theophilus knew the certainty of the things that he had been told. Those things were true. Luke's wider audience includes you and me today. Luke wrote his gospel so that us and others could know Jesus and receive Jesus and live for Jesus and tell others about Jesus. Remember, our beliefs determine our behavior. 
And so we now want to understand, with the help of Luke and all the other biblical writers, but in particular this morning, with the help of Luke, and in the moment, Matthew, we know and understand our beliefs are based on the truth of God's word, the sound truth of God's word, full of evidence, proof, and support for all that is written here so that we might be certain of the things that we read, the things that we are taught, that they are, in fact, true. And we see this verified by scholars again and again. One in particular, Daryl Bach, is a New Testament scholar. He's a seminary professor and author. And he said this uh, about this opening introduction. He said, the early origin of oral and written traditions for the life of Jesus provides evidence, say that with me, evidence against three common claims among skeptics. So here's three common claims among skeptics to the birth story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That vital biographical data about Jesus was lost before anyone managed to pin the Gospels. Well, we know that's not true because he said the original eyewitnesses handed down this information to them before he even penned his Gospel. That Jesus was an obscure figure until the canonical books were written. Well, we definitely know that's not true. They were talking about this Jesus hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he was actually introduced to the birth Mary. The third, that Jesus never even existed and that biblical books represent fiction, the invention of a divine redeemer and pattern after Greek mystery religions. I can assure you that the Greek mystery religions are patterned after the truth of God's word, not vice versa. And so we see there's great evidence, there's great proof for us here this morning to understand and realize we hold in our hands a reliable record about the birth of Jesus. We hold in our hands a reliable record about the life of Jesus. We hold in our hands a reliable record about the ministry of Jesus. We hold in our hands a reliable record about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We hold in our hands a reliable record of how we are able to know Jesus. This is truth that can be trusted. Why do we hold this in our hands? Because Almighty God wants us to be confident in our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants us to be confident, to know with certainty that this is true. We know the scripture tells us God's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. God wants us to be confident that he who started a good work in us at the moment of salvation will be faithful to carry on the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He wants us to be confident that he's at work in us to will and act according to his good purpose. He wants us to be confident that he'll meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be confident that no one or nothing can separate us from his love for us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be confident in knowing that Jesus is coming back for us and our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be confident that his grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness. Therefore, we can boast all the more gladly about Christ. Because as we do, his power rests and undergirds us day by day, moment by moment, step by step. And so we see here the beginning dialogue, the opening statement, introduction, if you will, to Luke's amazing gospel. And he is filling it with evidence and proof that supports everything that he is writing to us, everything that we will read together this morning. So how do we know the birth of Jesus is true? Well, let's look at some answers that we see uh, here in the scriptures that we know the birth of Jesus is true. First answer is the gospel accounts. We know the birth of Jesus is true because the gospel accounts, we know that each of the gospel writers 
uh, wrote their gospel narratives to different audiences with different perspectives in mind from, uh, and different purposes depending on who they were writing to. We know Matthew and Luke included uh, the information about the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark and John did not. They didn't go as specific at that point. They focused in other areas. Uh, Luke and Matthew included information about uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, Luke extensively, Matthew as well. As we have shared, Luke shared and he wrote a carefully investigated, thorough, detailed account of Jesus. From the very first, from the very beginning, Luke said. He went all the way back to the beginning uh, to make sure that everything he learned about Jesus was actually true about Jesus. So that everything he learned and everything he wrote would be then accurate for those he was writing specifically to and even all the way to us today. Matthew also included information about the birth of Jesus. If you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, then you will also know that Matthew wrote about Jesus' birth. Matthew looked at a little different angle than Luke did. There's some similar information, but they share different information due to the different audiences and purposes they were writing to those they were writing to. And so we see that uh, Matthew included information and he kind of put the spotlight uh, a little bit more so certainly than Luke did on Joseph. Matthew spoke clearly and wrote about how God communicated his plan for Joseph with Joseph in a miraculous way. And Matthew wrote about the obedience of Joseph and how Joseph did exactly what the angel said to do when the angel said to do it. Matthew also focused a little more than Luke did on the birth of Jesus being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew focused in on some of those Old Testament prophecies that we'll mention here, some of them in, in just a moment. And so we know the gospel writers, Luke and Matthew in particular, declare to us today the birth of Jesus is true. It happened. And we see since their writing more and more evidence that has been excavated, more and more evidence that has come to light throughout the years, bearing more and more proof that what they wrote years and years ago is actually true. And the support continues to come in uh, day and week and month and year by year. And so we see the gospel account. Second, form of proof is the eyewitnesses. Uh, the eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses uh, comes from a word, it's a combination word, that literally means self-see. Eyewitnesses means self-see. It means to see with one's own eyes. It means to have firsthand knowledge. As we know today, eyewitness accounts can provide strong, compelling, convincing evidence for whatever is uh, being researched. It can, it doesn't always, but it can provide strong, convincing, compelling evidence. And we see uh, this evidence come forth in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Interestingly, eyewitnesses in the original Greek language is from the original word autoptes, autoptes. And that may sound familiar to you, autoptes. This word eyewitnesses is from the original Greek word from which we get our English word autopsy. Luke was a physician, a doctor. In essence, Luke performed an autopsy on the facts 
about Jesus. He went back to the very first, the very beginning, and he researched and carefully examined bit by bit, statement by statement, word by word, thorough in his research, as would be the case that you would expect from a physician, to make sure that everything that he wrote in his gospel would be accurate and trustworthy and true. Luke told us about the original eyewitnesses that handed down information to he and others who were trying to compile their narratives about the life of Jesus. Many others saw Jesus after his birth. There were eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus that help provide great evidence for us today to believe that the birth of Jesus is true. The first eyewitness, let's just identify some of these eyewitnesses this morning. We'll look in the scriptures to get ready. We're going to move around a little bit and read about some of these eyewitnesses. The first eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus, the first is obvious. It's Mary and Joseph. They were the first eyewitnesses to Jesus after Mary gave birth to Jesus. And so we know these are the very first eyewitnesses. We know the shepherds were eyewitnesses. The shepherds saw Jesus shortly after his birth in the feeding trough in a manger in Bethlehem, just as the angel told them they would. Look in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 16. Luke wrote these words, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, the baby being, thank you, who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, say that with me, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. They saw Jesus after his birth. Simeon was a righteous, devout, godly man. Simeon had been told by God that he would not die until he saw the Savior of the world, the Son of God, until he saw the constellation of Israel, until he saw the one who would rescue his people from their sins. Simeon was led by God's Holy Spirit to go into the temple area, upon which in the temple he came upon Joseph, Mary, in Jesus, in, in Luke 2, verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms, him being Jesus, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon, we see here, Simeon saw Jesus after his birth. We know the wise men saw Jesus. They followed the star as they made their way to Bethlehem to see this one who was born king of the Jews. Matthew, turn to your left to Matthew's gospel real quick. Matthew chapter 2. If you're taking notes, just jot this address down. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. Matthew wrote these words. It's on page 870 if that helps you get there real quick. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. They saw the child. Say that with me. They saw the child. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we see again 
Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus after his birth. Saw the baby Jesus. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus grow up. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, Luke wrote these words, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with who? With people. What does that mean? That means a lot of people were eyewitnesses to Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus minister to people. Many eyewitnesses heard Jesus teach people. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus moving about from town to town healing people. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus crucified on the cross of Calvary. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus buried in the tomb. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus after his resurrection on the third day, as Paul told us, that after he rose again on the third day, he appeared to over 500 of his disciples and followers, many of whom were still alive. The very ones that Luke would have interviewed for the writing of his gospel. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. The gospel accounts and the eyewitnesses declare to you and to me this morning, the birth of Jesus is true. It is truth that can be trusted. It's reliable. A third proof is the Old Testament prophecy. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We know that the Old Testament prophets wrote and spoke, prophesied, predicted the coming of this Messiah, this Savior, uh, this Jesus Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened, Old Testament prophets spoke the word of God to the people of God and the power of God for the glory of God. And Matthew, in particular, in his gospel, highlighted some of these prophets and their prophecies that were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. One in particular, Matthew chapter 1. In verses 22 and 23, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that prophet being Isaiah. Jesse, uh, during our worship through song, shared about this. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. King Herod asked the religious leaders, the rabbis, the priests, where this one Jesus, this one born king of the Jews was to be born. He was disturbed and he wanted to find out where this, this Jesus was to be born. In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew quoted Micah, the Old Testament prophet, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, that being Micah, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we see once again, the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so we have the gospel accounts. We have the eyewitnesses. We have the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The evidence is mounting. It's overwhelming. The proof is there. These all point and declare the birth of Jesus is true, which led to everything else we know about Jesus being true as well. A fourth point of evidence is the growth of the New Testament church. 
If you think back in the book of Acts, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he, he combined these writings, the gospel, his gospel in this, this book of Acts, and he shared with us when the first church in Jerusalem was launched early on in one of the very first sermons, Peter was one of the first preachers there in the first church in Jerusalem. In one of those very first sermons, Peter reminded everyone about our Old Testament friend David. And he took him back to the Old Testament. He reminded everyone of how God had promised David to seat one of David's descendants on his throne forever. And then Peter made the connection through that sermon that God's promise to David was fulfilled for David in the birth of Jesus. Christ. Peter then went on to share that the birth of Jesus Christ led to his uh, life and led to his ministry, led to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, which led to the start and the spread of the New Testament church in Jerusalem, literally out into the world because of the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell the believers there at Pentecost in Jerusalem. And guess what? You and I know this to be true this morning. The New Testament church continues growing and spreading today. Amen? We're part of the story. The story includes us. We're part of this story. What happened in Jerusalem years and years and years ago is continuing today, and we're a part. And as we go and take the gospel to the nations, as we send out our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to go to the faraway nations to tell the nations about Jesus, we're doing exactly what these brothers and sisters did years and years ago. The gospel went forth from Jerusalem into the world, and it still goes out into the world today. And we join in with these brothers and sisters in Christ and being a part of this glorious declaration that the birth of Jesus is true, that Jesus is alive. He is risen, and he is our Lord and Savior. A reliable record, extraordinary proof, just the beginning pieces of the proof that is available for us to know that we know that we know with certainty the things that we're told, the things that we're taught, the things that we read, they actually happened. So what's our application today? What's our takeaway? What does God want us to do with this information that we've received this morning from him? A couple of points. Since the birth, since the birth of Jesus is true, believe in Jesus. We can believe with confidence and conviction in Jesus Christ. We can believe this morning in Jesus with confidence and with conviction. We can believe in the birth of Jesus. We can believe in the life of Jesus. We can believe in the ministry of Jesus. We can believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We can believe in the reality that we receive forgiveness of sins by the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We can believe we enter a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. That words to the old hymn are true on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We can believe in Jesus. Our faith is built on overwhelming, convincing evidence and proof. As many have said before, it takes more faith not to believe in Jesus than it does to believe in Jesus. It's true. We can believe as we read these words so familiar to us, but at times so taken for granted by us. We can believe 
these words as hopefully and prayerfully as families, we read these words together in our homes over the next days and weeks to come. So we gather and ask God, would you give us a fresh understanding of your story? Would you point out, God, maybe in a new way, an extraordinary truth that maybe I've not noticed before, or maybe I've noticed but I've just forgotten about. This story is true. We can believe in Jesus. Since, secondly, this story is true, tell others about Jesus. Hey, let's tell others about Jesus. This good news is too good to keep for ourselves. Amen? The good news of Jesus, the gospel message, is too good just to keep to ourselves. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to open the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus came years ago in Bethlehem in a manger humbly to open the way for us to enter a relationship with God. Faith in Jesus is the only way for us to get to God. Faith in Jesus is the only way for us to spend eternity with God. Faith in Jesus is the only way for us to live and please God. Faith in Jesus is what allows us to live out the truth of God by the power of God at work in our lives. So let's believe in Jesus. Let's live for Jesus by the power of Jesus in us. Let's minister to one another through Jesus and let's tell others the good news about Jesus. Because as we know, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we've been reminded this morning, we'll continue to be reminded in these days to come, as you will be reminded as you spend time with the word, in the coming days, Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people. He has been, he is, and he always will be. Let's bow in prayer as our worship team comes to lead in this time.